Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this message. We've been reading together a book called Ministry in the Image of God, the Trinitarian Shape of Ministry. And we've been talking about how we who have been made in the image and likeness of God need to start with him in order to understand who we are and what we do. Glad surrender is a challenge for every one of us. It's the kind of challenge that cannot be resolved primarily by us. It requires God. I'm very familiar with sad surrender and also mad surrender. Glad surrender is something different. It's chapter four in the book we've been reading. Sad surrender looks like this in my life. You think about what it looks like in your life. Sad surrender is, on the day of my wedding, my wife and I experienced the presence of God in a phenomenal way. Some of the guests in attendance were partners from the law firm that employed me. With tears, they came up afterwards and said, as long, to my wife, to my family, to me, as long as I have a law firm, Donnell will have a job. I was a legal assistant. And when he is ready, we will pay his way to college. Either UVA, Harvard, or New York Law, he can choose one of the three. He'll be a summer associate, and then he will become an associate, and then he'll become a partner. You're thinking, what's sad about that? I finished college, I'm ready to go to law school, I'm sitting in service on a Sunday, Pastor Brett preaches this amazing word of God, I'm broken afterwards, I'm weeping, I go to my good friend Daryl Green and say, hey, before I go to law school, I'd like to help volunteer. He said, I'd like you to be the man to run the organization. I said, I'll pray for whoever that person is to be. He said, I think it's you. D, we're friends, not me. Pray about it. I don't have to pray about it. (laughs) God's already answered my prayer. Ride home, I tell my wife, my new bride, school loans, debt. Next day, my wife says, I think it's God's will. I know. Law school. She said, no. No what? I think you're supposed to go work with Daryl Green and serve the youth of this city. Okay? I'm going to go pray by myself. (laughs) Wow. Donnell, I'm praying by myself. Like like even God's not even a a part of it. It really is by myself. (laughs) You ever prayed by yourself and you thought God was with you? I was praying by myself. He's like, usually people invite me to participate. Prayer is like my thing. So, which do you love more? The idea of serving youth or the idea of being an attorney? Well, can we move beyond ideas and talk about reality? I know which one you love more. The youth of the city in which I was born. That you don't believe I'm a God who pays for what he orders. That I'd call you to do something and not make provision. Sad surrender. Anybody know anything about sad surrender? 
Mad surrender. Anybody know anything about mad surrender? It's your kid pouting as they go off to make their bed and clean their room reluctantly. I don't want to do it. Right? I think sometimes with respect to God and one another, we know more about sad surrender and mad surrender than we do glad surrender. But I want to read a quote to you by a guy named E. Stanley Stanley Jones. And then ask God to help us. Here's what he says. So self-surrender is at the very heart of God. And it is at the very heart of all his attitudes and actions. When he asks us to surrender ourselves, he is asking us to fulfill the deepest thing in himself and the deepest thing in us. You ever watch Charlie Brown? Do you remember when Lucy would move the ball in a kick? What would he say? Oh, he didn't say it like that. How would he say it? Say it like he says it. Uh, No, 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 no. Ugh! That's how he does it. Yeah. But glad surrender is at the very heart of God. And it actually flows from his love. The love that the Father has for the Son and the Spirit, the love that the Son has for the Father and the Spirit, the love that the Spirit has for the Son and the Father, they, there is nothing egocentric in the Godhead. He is self-giving, self-surrendering in all his attitudes, in all his actions, in all his ways. At the very heart of God, he is self-denying. And the motivation for him being that way is his love. And unless we know the love of God in this measure, we remain those who are self-seeking. And we choose ourselves over God and over others. This is the gap in my life that grips me and makes me discontent with the life I'm currently living and the one I'm called to live. Let me go on and read a little bit more. Self-sacrifice is at the heart of Trinitarian love. The Father expresses self-giving, self-sacrificing, self-humbling love toward the Son and the Holy Spirit. We tend to view submission or surrender to another as self-limiting and self-destructive. How many say yes to that? In the fellowship of the Trinity, self-giving and self-sacrifice equals self-fulfillment and unspeakable joy. We must also never forget that self-surrender flows out of love. Experiencing the divine embrace, the joyful Trinitarian intimacy, evokes the response of glad surrender. Isn't that amazing? Here's what Pastor Sam Ayudagban said. He's from Nigeria. He leads our Every Nation Church in, in um, Lagos. He said, quote, The greatest thing Jesus does with his faith is embrace God's will, not his own way. The greatest thing Jesus does with his faith is embrace God's will, not his own way. In other words, the greatest thing Jesus does with his faith is not the miracle of the blind seeing, the lame walking, the dead raised to life. It's the submission of himself to the Father. That's the greatest thing of his faith. I don't know about you, but I'd rather settle for somebody being healed supernaturally than submission of myself to him. That's just me being honest. 
Why are we this way? Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who knows that? All right. So I want to talk about this for a moment. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. The word sin there is the word harmatia. It means missing the mark. I used to think about this in a particular way, but I have another illustration that makes it better. But at least the former way, so you have a picture of sort of the, the, the transition from one thought to another thought with, re- with regard to thinking of the sin that indwells us. In archery, the goal is to kind of take a bow, take an arrow, aim for a target, and hit the what? Bullseye. The problem is, if you don't hit the bullseye, even if you hit the target, the distance from the bullseye to the other point, that is the word harmatia, missing the mark. The Bible says all have missed the mark. We all fall short of it. All of us fall short of it. And the only one who hits the mark is Jesus, who from heaven descended and hit the mark of perfection. Now, this is really important to understand because if you're like me, not only did you miss the mark and miss the target, you ended up somewhere in the woods, arrow stuck to a tree. Am I alone in there or somebody else? So I've missed the mark. I've actually missed the target when I look back over my life. But there's a way of measuring ourselves before God with an instrument or scale that he doesn't even use. There's a view we have of ourselves that, you know, I'm good with God. Why? Because, you know, I do more good and less bad. Isn't that the goal? Do more good, do less bad. There used to be a beer commercial back in the day that says, taste great, less filling. You don't know about that commercial. Never had a... Okay. But God actually is not into that scale of measuring. If I do more good, I went to church this Sunday, I actually gave, I'm tithing, uh, I'm serving on some team, I'm doing all these things. And so you begin to measure your righteousness based on the activity that you are increasing in or the activity you're de- decreasing in. I don't cuss as much. I don't get drunk anymore. I don't, and, and not that that isn't good I'm not knocking it, but there's a difference between the bad deeds of the flesh and the good deeds of the flesh. But what they have in all in common is that it's all flesh. The motivation is coming from the wrong source. It's not spirit-led, it's flesh-driven. So even the good you do may not be good in God's eyes. Pastor Rice, who you saw in that film, talked about a, a scale one time. He said, I'm going to, I don't know if you can see this, but this part of the stage is going to be perfection. That's the goal. This part of the stage is rejection. Like you're not even in. When you die, there's no hope or opportunity of you actually being in eternity with Christ. And then this is the middle. And he gives someone a magic mark and say, draw the line where you are in society. And so he gives a mark to somebody and they come up. And they're not so arrogant as to put themselves over here. Anybody in this room, absolutely perfect, 100%. You never miss it. You never sin. You're just every day, every hour knocking out the park. Raise your hand, anybody. Okay, nobody. In the first service, somebody went up. And they, oh, not all the time. Then they put it down. <laughs> but there's something in us that kind of goes, well, I know I'm not that, but I thank God I'm not that. How many go, I thank God I'm not that? That's the self-righteous man. That's the Pharisee who prays, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. 
You see, the scale we use is others. I may not be like those, but at least I'm not like those. The problem is God doesn't use that scale. His scale is perfection. And an iota less of it means you're out. So when you really get that in your heart and mind, the depravity of us, that produces hopefully not just conviction but contrition and like you see people coming up to Jesus with tears weeping like can I wash your feet because I recognize my sinfulness in your presence and you'd be condemned except that the only thing greater than our sinfulness is his love it is so overwhelming that it trumps the sinfulness that's in us And it allows us to be, God, I am so far from perfection, but I'm so close to the one who's perfect and who's willing to receive me and take from me what I can't, my sin, and give to me what I cannot earn, his righteousness. That's that's how we're supposed to live. But that way of living comes from this sense of self-surrendering, of choosing God over ourselves, and even choosing others over ourselves. How many have a hard time choosing God and others over yourselves? Right? Like in marriage, any married people in the room, raise your hand. So if God is self-surrendering, wait, hold your hands up again? Okay, all right, just make sure. You know, sometimes I saw a spouse and I thought one hand went up and the other didn't, so I just <laughs> wanted to double check. So, so uh, think, think sports analogy for a moment. Anybody love sports? we're supposed to be self-surrendering like God. If that love has hit our heart, then it should be played out in all our relationships. I am honest with myself. I'm not as self-surrendering as I ought to be in all my relationships. There's something in me that is self-preserving. I even grew up hearing that the first law of nature is self-preservation, which started with the fall of man, not the creation of man. So we're going to do a little something. Just imagine, if you will, that we're on a field. Think athletics. Think a married couple. Think a married couple relating to one another, made in the image of God. And if they're made in the image of God, since God is self-surrendering, since God is self-giving, then it should look that way in marriage because you're made in his image. Right? So, we're going to let the games begin. Yeah, so, uh... Hey, sweetheart. Hey, hey, what's up, babe? Um... So you you've been you've been here all day, home all day. Yeah, with the kids. With the kids and everything, with the kids and everything, and you just y'all y'all didn't trip over all this stuff here on the floor. You didn't have a thing to. You... Flag on the play. Fifteen yards. Self-seeking. Okay, you know what? You know, so you just gonna come home and not acknowledge the fact that I've been out with the kids all day, cooking and cleaning, and I didn't say nothing last night when you went to the game and you saw the fight last night with the boys. I didn't say nothing then. Well, the kids were asleep when I went to the fight. I'm just saying. 
watched the fight last night with the boys, and I mean, you could sit and watch a man with some gloves make a million dollars, but I need to get my hair did. And I'm trying to figure out, you sitting, he's making a million dollars, I need to get my hair done. What's going on? I don't understand. Well, I'm just saying, he's, he, he's fighting, he's making a million dollars because his wife probably cooked for him. Oh. And, uh, he has the energy, he has the energy to train. Okay, first of all, I'm start snatching air. Huh? First Don't of all. Don't snatch that air, I paid for that air, that's my first house. First of all. I pay the bills in this house. First you of don't, all. You don't snatch that I'm air. snatch that air. No, you don't snatch I'm that air. snatch that air. Half the distance of the goal. Offsides, completely offsides. Okay, 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 wait a minute, okay. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, right, I'm sorry, because okay. you're making right, my I'm edges, sorry. you sweat out my edges. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're making my edges sweat out. No, I didn't mean to sweat out your okay. edges. All right, I'm... I'm sorry. Okay. You know what? You know, touch her again. Okay. Touch her I'm Go sorry. Ahead. I'm edges. sorry. Edges. Okay, okay, That's... Oh, okay, okay. Oh, that's good? That's okay, good. okay, that's, that's good. good. Um, I'm sorry, babe. Yeah. I'm sorry. How was your day? It, you know what? It was it was excellent, and we had a good time with the kids. You know what? Do you want to later tonight? We can just we can do the pay per view thing. You want to watch a fight tonight? Is there a fight going on tonight? Yeah, it's expensive. I don't want to do that, but okay. Um, but I, I would like to just talk to you about your day and and, and just let me. How can I help? Because I know it's been a long day for you. I know you had the kids all day. It's Friday. What do you need from me? Um, thank you, sweetheart. Do you know how to do something? Can you just edge me up in the front? I, you get, can you get your clippers? Huh? You got your clippers, you can just edge me up in the back. I mean, I can put some Vaseline on, the, okay. on it, but I don't, all right. All right. I, I don't know. Thank you, sweetheart. All right, I love you, sweetheart. I love you, so, so much. All right. Stay here for a second. Face each other. What a moment, right? This is, this is what our couples learned yesterday, that you have the home field advantage. You have the home field advantage, which means you're on the winning side. But because God has given us his grace, he's given us his spirit, he's given us the tools that we need to win. We win with him. So use your home field advantage to advance the ball and to tell others about Christ. Amen? Good. Here's the picture. They're facing one another. And oftentimes, in marriage, this is just one example of many kinds of relationships. We see two people, a husband and a wife. But remember, we're made in the image of God. So marriage reflects him. So marriage was never just about two people. If it's just two of you, you got to twist it. It's supposed to be three. God, husband, and wife. That's a braid. Ladies, when you twist your hair, what happens? You can put a pencil at the root, and it can come undone in two seconds. But when you braid it, the pencil will break before the braid will. And relationships are designed to go the distance. So the idea is you're not on opposite sides. Face each other. Now turn outward. You're on the same team. You're on the same team. And when you're on the same team, you fight different. Give them a big hand as they take this seat. How many of us in our relationships choose ourselves over the other? Choose ourselves over God? 
I love that we can laugh about it, but we all know that in the real intense moments, it's painful, right? It, it hurts. Whether it's you with your spouse, you with your child, you with your parent, you with your employer, you with your coworker, you with your employee, there's something in us that feels like I got to win. So I'm going to choose me over you. And it didn't start with you. It didn't start with your parents. You can't blame them. It didn't start with the grandparents. This one goes all the way back to the very beginning. Here's the moment. We know it well. The man and the woman who knew a relationship like any other. I don't know the period of time for which they experienced the unity apart from the fall and what life was like in that moment, but I would love to experience something visually that says, so that's what that was like. Obviously with Christ, we get the best. But in that moment, when they sinned, they're hiding behind the tree. God comes walking in the cool of the day. Here's what's amazing about God and his love. He knew we would sin. The Bible says that Jesus is the lamb who was crucified, slain before the foundation, before the creation of the world. Which of you would give someone a billion dollars knowing they're going to lose it? He knew we would blow it and still made us anyway. That's a loving God. And when he comes walking, he's not in anger or wrath. He's coming to help. And he's choosing them. And I love this moment. He walks up and he says, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? It's not an open-ended question. It's just a what? Yes or no? But here's what he says because of the condemnation, because of the guilt, because of the sinfulness. And I want you to hear this because this is how we tap into the self-preserving ways that are in us. The first thing this man says, who loved this woman and said, whoa, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he was so thankful to God. But in this moment of his sinfulness, of depravity, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, the woman that you gave me. What did he do? And this is the thing in my life that I'm saying, God, help us as a people to live with and just tear up our list of, I don't do this anymore, but I do this. That is not the issue. The issue is choosing ourselves over God and choosing ourselves over other. That is the chief sin. I don't drink anymore. I don't get drunk. I don't get high. I don't sleep around. I don't do this. I don't do that. Great. But you can stop doing all that and still be choosing you over God. And when you choose you over God, all the lists are, are torn up. Because the law is training wheels to bring us to the point where you don't need it anymore. When you learn to ride a bike, they put training wheels on it. But when you get to ride well enough where there's something internally that allows you to be balanced, you don't need something externally to keep you balanced. And as long as you need laws to keep you in check, that means something hasn't got inside you yet. But the moment the love of God and the law of God is in your heart, you don't need an external boundary to keep you in check because internally you're checked by the Holy Spirit. And I love this moment. He says, the woman you gave me. He's choosing himself. It's not just that he's blaming the woman. He's choosing himself over her. He's choosing himself over God. And then the woman is asked, a question and she goes well the serpent did it so she's she's still choosing herself over and we need the grace of God and the spirit of God as a people to say Lord help me 
Save me from my self-preserving ways. Save me from choosing me over you and over others. Amen? I want to read something and then we'll be done. This is from the book. Many ministers. Who are the ministers? That's right. Many ministers are willing to follow Christ halfway, but not the other half. They'll give up many things through Christ, but will not disown themselves. They are examples of what spiritual writer Thomas Kelly describes as the astonishing life which is willing to follow him the other half. Sincerely to disown itself. This life which intends complete obedience without any reservations. Only a few are willing to go the other half, Kelly observes. But when such a commitment comes in a human life, God breaks through. Miracles are wrought. World-renewing divine forces are released. History changes. Father, I pray for us that we would understand the love that the Father has for us. The moment that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what he was saying was, I want you. I want you, Father, over me. I choose your will over my will. I choose your way over my way. I choose you over me. And he chose us over himself. And since we're made in his image, we need the Spirit of God in us so that we choose God over ourselves, that we choose God over others, that we choose others over ourselves. How many here, anybody here this morning would say, that speaks to me. I recognize that I tend to choose myself over God. I tend to choose myself over others. I'm not even asking whether you're a Christian or a saved. I'm saying you may even be born again, but still the practice of living right, the practice of humility, the practice of self-surrendering in marriage and other relationships. Have you come to the point where when you feel that self-seeking, self-exalting thing that rises up on the inside of you, you're able to deny self and go, even what this person is saying to me, my way of hearing it, it wants me to respond in kind and go, no, no, I'm right. No, listen to me but I'm no longer concerned chiefly with being right. I want to be reconciled to God. I want to be reconciled to others. You know, listen to this for a second. Jesus had people mistreat him, and he could have easily proven himself right over them. But he didn't. He, he never hit back. He's like, I'm going to take it. And the only way you can take it from others when it's not dished out right is to know how loved you are by your Father that makes you so secure that I don't need to be right. I don't need to one-up you. I don't have to prove something because my security doesn't come from winning in this moment. My security comes from the kind of love that was demonstrated by God to win me when he died on the cross. So I got nothing left to prove. If that applies to you in some way or another, just hold your hand up. Thank you, Lord. So Father, with our hands, you can put them down. In fact, if it's you, just stand. We want to pray together. Lord, we stand together. I'm asking for something for this house. I'm asking for something for this city. I'm asking for something for this nation. We're willing to confess 
that we are self-preserving. We're self-seeking. And we've developed skill at it. We can whisper and yet be self-seeking. You can be riding in the car with your spouse and just a, just a comment, but that comment comes from some place other than the Spirit of God. You can look your sibling in the face and they can say something to you and you're mad or you're sad, but can you engage glad surrender and say, God, let me spread my arms and take this and go, I'm so loved by God that I'm free in the moment of insults. I'm free in the moment of being mistreated. I'm free from wanting to sling back. The moment in the garden is you saying, I got a right to fight back, but I'm going to deny myself that right. I want to live like that. I've been saved a long time, but I want to live like that. Being born again was all about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about living righteously. And living righteously is about this humility that prefers others to yourself. Why don't you start in a small way? No, you have that. Start choosing God above yourself. Start choosing others above yourself. People say, what would I do if somebody put a gun to my head and renounced Christ? If we're not in the habit of practicing choosing God on a regular and small ways, why are you even asking that question? Are you choosing him over everything else? There's a Christianity that's not the gospel. But there's a gospel that's the kingdom. And we're without excuse. Because we've been given his Holy Spirit. So you can't say, I can't do it. None of us can. You say, Pastor, that's difficult. No, 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 it's not difficult. It's impossible. The flesh is too weak. It will never submit. So it has to be put to death. This week, here's your homework assignment. When someone says something and you feel that, oh, I can't believe they said that to me. Then you'll be like, oh no, I do believe it. In fact, I should have saw it coming because we talked about it Sunday. Now how am I going to respond? Holy Spirit, I'm so glad that I spent some time with you this morning and that we're together all day. Because if you were not in me, I would respond and react in my flesh. But because you're in me, I'm going to die right here. I'm going to follow my sword right here. I'm going to carry my cross right here. Carrying the cross is not an end of your life kind of activity. It's when you get in the car, when you leave from here. It's when someone was supposed to pay you and they didn't. Jesus actually does good to haters. How about us? We cut them off. He loves them. Mm. it's going to take some practice to live like this but if we actually live like this and love each other like this then those who don't know him at all will kind of go yeah I believe in God he's real because I'm watching how they treat each other and humans don't act like that in marriage silent treatment you turn your back and you stop talking to them delay of game There are so many flags on the play in how we respond. And yet he lets us keep playing. Because we're going to win in the end. Because of his love. 
Father, we receive your love today. We who are prone to be self-centered, we who are prone to be self-serving, we who say we're seeking first the kingdom of God, but sometimes we seek ourselves first. Would we learn the skill of submitting to you fully? Let our self-surrender flow from this massive love. I thank you that you love every person standing in this room. You cherish them just the way they are. Even in whatever in their life is not right, your love for them is massive. You love them. You care for them. You died for them. And you want nothing but the very best for them. Let them leave encouraged. Let them leave strengthened. Fill them with wisdom. Teach them how to die the way you die. Help us be practiced dying. Let us get used to dying like that movie. Die, live, die, repeat. Live, die, repeat. Every day we live, we get up, we die so that we can live. Fill us, Holy Spirit. We need you.
Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovedc.org.